BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to Jumping Bomb Audio. All about Joshi Pro Wrestling. I'm Aaron. I'm joined, of course, by Taylor. What's up, Taylor? Hi. Happy Memorial Day weekend. There's no better way to celebrate Memorial Day than talking about Joshi Wrestling. That's right. Let us remember all the uh, all the Joshi who have retired. That's what Memorial Day should be, frankly. I agree with you. Well, we are, I'm sure, going to talk about Hazuki and Kagetsu on this episode. So, uh, great Joshi retirees to to remember for Memorial Day. That's what I'll be doing on Monday, for sure. And by that, I mean today, the day you're hearing this. You think Rich is going to post our podcast on Monday, on, on the holiday? I mean, what what's better time to uh, listen to a great podcast than a day that many people have off? You might That's be true. looking for things to do. Are, are you working on Monday, Taylor? I am not working on Monday, no. I'm probably working on Monday, unfortunately. Uh, so I will be... Uh, dishonoring the memory of uh, Joshi, who have retired from the sport. So I apologize to everyone. Um, if you want to check out what we're doing on Twitter, we're at J-Bomb Audio. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor's at Tay Mambo. Uh, subscribe to the show. Just type in Jumping Bob Audio, whatever podcast app you use. Hit subscribe. You'll get these as soon as they come out. Uh, it's helpful to us in some way, I think, as far as like algorithmically. It helps people find the show. Another great way to help people find the show is to go on iTunes. Uh, and give a five-star rating and review. I think it's just the Apple Podcast app now, not iTunes. Uh, that helps people, you know, there's a lot of Joshi fans who maybe aren't in our circle, so perhaps they will find the podcast and listen. And if you'd like to donate to the show, you can do so at redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. Not a lot of shows uh, for us to talk about in the past week, so we're going to focus on uh, the Seedling show from May 26, which had a big, huge main event we'll talk all about. Uh, we'll, of course, run down some of the other stuff that happened. 
uh, and stuff that's going to come up in the next couple of weeks. And then we took some questions. So we've got questions to answer, and I think it'll be a fun show. Taylor and I always joke that when we think it's going to go short, we'll take questions, and then it ends up uh, being longer than we anticipated. So you just you can never guess in the podcasting game, Taylor, what's going to happen. It's unpredictable every week, but that's what makes it exciting. Every other week, but yes. Every other week, yes. Uh, <laughs> news. The, the state of emergency in various parts of Japan is extended again. It seems like uh, COVID is a mess in Japan. At the same time, and I haven't watched the whole show yet, so no spoilers, uh, Taylor, but I flicked on the beginning of Friday Night Dynamite, and a uh, big full crowd looked like it was full capacity. Yeah, it was pretty wild to open the show because uh, when I turned the show on, I wasn't even thinking. I've gotten such in the rhythm of you turn the show on and it looks the same every week. And it was wild just to have sound, like consistent sound. I was like, wow, this is really great. Um, it was. It really was. <clears throat> and I, I think something AW, like one thing they're really bad at is uh, like the sound production on shows. And, like, the tape shows just have the worst sound. And so it was nice. It's like, oh, this is what a crowd actually sounds like. Uh, and, of course, the AW crowds, I think, are well-known for being on fire for basically everything. And uh, they, they did not disappoint, at least in the first 20 minutes or whatever I've watched of the show so far. So I can't wait. Obviously, in Japan right now, uh, we don't have full crowds. You can't make noise. Uh, but hopefully one day again, we will have Joshi with full crowds. <clears throat> yeah, there's still I I think it was officially the emergency state of emergency was extended. I don't know if it's official yet, but I heard June 20th, uh which would affect the Stardom show, uh would affect Gaiaism, of course. Um those aren't official as the time at the time we're recording. Um so we are going to preview the Stardom show, but in between us recording and this being posted, Things can change very fast, so that show may be uh, canceled um, or moved or rescheduled. We don't know, but, you know, we'll see what happens. But it's just sort of uh, very unpredictable. It feels very unpredictable right now where you can't really uh, guess what is going to happen week to week. (laughs) Um, Have we considered that Gaiaism is responsible for COVID? Um, I mean, I don't want to put that on. I don't want to put that on them. <laughs> every time the show is scheduled, something bad happens. Is all I'm saying. It does seem to be a weirdly cursed show, um, and it's also very weird looking at Marvelous and Sendai Girls, which now very much feel like two promotions that were clearly expecting uh, something to happen. You know, the show to happen, and now the show isn't happening but they're still running their own shows and they sort of feel like well we'll just keep doing you know sendai girls versus marvelous matches <laughs> you know again so you know i really want to see the show so i hope it happens sooner rather than later you know if it does get delayed again you know i hope they could move it maybe somewhere else or figure out some solution because it certainly seems to me that just continually moving it back is not the solution because the state of emergency seems to continually it's you know being extended over and over again yes so uh you know causing a lot of issues with with crowds and whatnot i don't know how the olympics will play into all that 
But hopefully one day, uh, people in Japan will be vaccinated, and uh, this can all be over. That would be very nice. Um, let's go into the seedling show. So May 26th, and I'm, I'm going to look it up before I say this, but I think they were actually at Shinkiba First Ring this time. Uh, I believe that you are correct. Since I've said for like two shows in a row they were at Shinkiba when they were not, but I'm actually right this time. They were at Shinkiba First Ring. Yeah, you put. I I thought they were, but you've the last two weeks have put doubt in my mind. Anytime you say the word Shinkiba, I know. Well, the show's called Shinkiba Night, so I feel pretty confident about it. Also, it looked like Shinkiba as it traditionally looks. So, uh, in my opinion, a really a really good show, Taylor. What did you think? I agree. I thought it was very strong. Obviously, I think that it was highlighted by the main event, which we'll talk about in a second. But overall, I thought it was a fun show. I think that Seedling has got really um, good at, and we've talked about this in the last couple of shows, you know, having good matches that don't overstay their welcome. It was not a long show. It was, I think, two hours or maybe a little under two hours. So they get in, they have their matches, their matches are good, and it's over. So really, I had, I had no complaints um, on this show. Yeah, you know me. I don't. When the when the Natsuki Tayo stuff gets going in the in the high speed matches, I usually kind of tune out. So that's really my only thing. But the last three matches, I I loved them in various uh, or in variable hmm, two variable degrees is what I'm trying to get at. I loved them all. They weren't equally good, but I really enjoyed each of them. So, uh, but let's get started. Hopefully, you'd like the first match more than I did, Taylor. We had Itsuki Aoki and you defeating Honori Hana and Riko Kawahata. Well, I thought this match was mostly fine. Uh, it didn't blow me away, but I do like that in this high-speed, quote-unquote, division that they have, that they do mix it up in terms of it's not just singles matches. You know, sometimes it's three-way uh, matches. This one was a tag match. So I like that there was, that there is, and there was in this match, the variety of it isn't just one type of match. You can have tag matches and different things like that. So I thought it was, you know, fine, you know, the way they like to start the show. And so, you know, I thought it was a fairly good start to the show, but probably of the four matches, the least favorite uh, of the four for me. Okay, so we're we're pretty much on the same page. So that's fine. Um, not a lot for me to say. The, my favorite part was probably the Honori Hana and Riko Kawahata dance before the match started. I know you're a big fan of the dancing also. I love the dancing. Yes, I love the dancing. And Riko Kawahata is very good, you know, is very good. And Hanori Hana always gives her best effort. So that counts for something. <laughs> well, we got a big question about Hanori Hana later in the show. So there's a, there's a tease for you folks. Uh, then next up, we had Rina Yamashita defeating Ayami Sasamura. Yeah, I enjoyed this match. You know, I've been on the Sasamura train for a while. I've talked about her on the show before. I think that she is very good and really underutilized. Um, you know, Seedling has used her. She did have that injury uh, a while back, which I think hurt her momentum. But I really enjoyed this match. I thought it was a good uh, sort of clash of styles with Rina's tougher uh, style against Sasamura, who's a little bit different. But overall, I thought it was a very strong match. I thought it was a, a lot of fun. 
Uh, yeah, I definitely have noticed myself becoming a Sasamura head. Uh, when she comes out, I, I've noticeably gotten more like interested in her matches. Uh, I don't know if you're just talking me into her or what, but or she's getting better. So I'm not sure which one it is. But I'm a big fan. She was great in this. This was this is like the kind of match I like where they just, uh, you know, fought each other hard and beat each other up, and then somebody won. That's just kind of uh, what I like. So it hit all the all the boxes that are good for Aaron. Do you think you are the one convincing me to like Ayame Sasamura? No, I think you're liking her because she's good. <laughs> she's good. Is okay. why. I mean, that's what I would say. I wish I could say solely that I have the sort of power over you that I can just speak, you know, I can change your opinions based on just me speaking. But I do think it is partially, at least partially, based on her talent. Well, what I'm guessing is she is just really good. That's true. But I've probably, sometimes, you know, you see somebody and you kind of have your first initial reaction and it's hard to get over that. And maybe you being such a big Sasamura fan has caused me to to make sure I took a second look and uh, considered again my view of Ayame Sasamura. Yeah, it could be. It also could be that, you know, she was injured. She sort of, I remember before she got injured, I was sort of like, oh, she's, you know, she's getting better. She's improving. Then she got injured. And I think when you come back from an injury like that, that was pretty lengthy, I think there is sort of an adjustment period of, of, of being like, I'm back, okay, here's how everything, you know, getting back into sort of in-ring, not shape is the wrong word, but sort of getting comfortable with being back in the ring and wrestling matches. And so I think we could be seeing that sort of improvement where she's now figured, you know, I've been back for enough time and I've gotten comfortable in the ring again and now I can sort of show what I'm capable of. All right, I like all these theories about why I'm becoming such a Sasamura fan. We'll uh, continue I, I to track we'll, this. I, I guess we'll never, we'll never truly know. No, we'll, we'll put that right under whether, um, gosh, uh, of course I'm blanking here, uh, whether Matsumoto, whether her gear is meant to evoke a hamburger or taco. We will put that on the list also. Yes, although that will, we will at some point, receive an answer to that that's true that is a knowable question so we'll, we'll figure that out uh next up another great match on the show yumiko hota defeating riko kaiju with an arm bar yeah i like this match as well and i think that this really showed i think one of the big strengths of seedling you know we talk about the high speed matches but and this sort of match was which was a little bit sort of harder hitting um, in a, in not a, in less of an in-ring hard-hitting way, and more of a sort of hardcore, you know, outside of the ring, people being thrown into chairs, uh, way. In that, I think that ceiling has become very good at presenting cards that do have different feeling matches on them. You know, we start with the high speed, um match in the opener we have this match we have the main event tag team you know big big deal match and they really do that on a lot of their cards where i think that that one of their strengths is that they can present a variety of styles in one card which makes things more interesting for me when i'm watching 
I think that's true. And also that this is like a, a multi-show story between Hota and, and Liko Kaiju that they got me drawn into and interested in. And it kind of, they did a great job, just like classic pro wrestling of like giving you little bits and pieces of this feud as they built up to then this match where it could kind of breathe more and you could really see the full, the full breadth of what they could do together in the match. And I thought they both uh, were great here and you got, you know, also, of course it'd be fun to see Kaiju win, uh, but it makes sense at this point for Hota to, to win. And so you got to see Kaiju give it her all, uh, you know, fight from underneath, but she just didn't have enough to get it done against the legend. Yeah, and I i mean, the spot that sticks out to me actually doesn't even involve the two of them, but involves Sasamura going into those, going into the chairs, getting flung into the chairs at, at full speed, uh, which looked really crazy right after her, you know, match in the previous match or, or yeah, right after her match, which was previous. Um, so, yeah, I really enjoyed it. All right, and then we'll get into the main event, which I expect we'll have uh, much more to say about. We have the Beyond the Sea tag title match. Uh, Arisa Nakajima, Nanai Takahashi defending their titles against the Las Freses team of Asuka and Makoto. And uh, the, the Freses did it. Taylor, Asuka, and Makoto win. Asuka pinned Nanai. Yeah, they managed to stay together and not be disbanded. That was the threat hanging over their head. And actually, um, before I watched the show, I thought I had seen a spoiler that the result was the other way, which I th- I sort of thought I saw and then immediately closed what I was looking at and went, oh, I hope that wasn't a spoiler. But it was sort of in the back of my head the whole time. And then obviously um they won and i was like oh i was wrong but it gave me even a little bit more surprise because in the back of my mind i was thinking okay they're i think they're gonna lose um but it was an interesting match and there was this match and there's another match uh that happened in the past two weeks which i'll talk about in my recommended matches where i like partway through the match i was thinking i'm not super enamored by the the sort of the in-ring action you know it wasn't bad but it wasn't sort of that high top very top level that i'm used to from these four wrestlers but the thing i really loved about it was everything was done with such an attitude you know it started with um Citrus Wind coming out and Kaiju attacks them from behind. <laughs> and Arisa like turns around and is like, what is going on? Very annoyed. And then just flings Riko Kaiju into the chairs without any warning. And the people didn't realize it was going to happen and sort of stood up late. But there was such hatred, such attitude between the two teams that even though it wasn't my favorite, you know, I didn't think it was the crispest um match in ring wise i just really it really hooked me in because it felt like a battle it felt like a fight to me yeah i think that's absolutely true and it had this cool story i was spoiled on the match and so that was kind of a bummer uh but i certainly thought that like you know the first 
almost 15 minutes of the match was basically uh, Arison and I beating down mostly Makoto. I think Asuka had like one save in there. So that kind of did feel like they couldn't, they weren't just going to have them dominate the whole match and then win, I didn't think, at the end. That would have been depressing for that also to be the way that the breakup <laughs> occurred. Uh, but you had this cool story of like Makoto getting her ass kicked. Asuka would save the day. And, you know, it's kind of building toward you got two options here. If the if uh, Las Freses are going to win, you got two options. Either Asuka is able to hang on, you know, despite you know coming in and saving the day over and over. Uh, or, of course, you know, there's just she doesn't have enough. Like she she keeps trying to save Makoto, but it's just not enough in the end. Um, or Makoto, like, gets her shit together. And is able to uh, overcome, you know, getting beaten up the whole match and win. Uh, but instead, we kind of had uh, Makoto save Asuka a little bit, which allowed Asuka to have just enough left to survive in the end. I mean, I always talk about Asuka's athleticism. And in this match, I don't, I don't know if it was uh, real or she was selling, but it seemed real to me. But I've never seen Asuka has, as gassed as she looked in this match. And while like I was like, huh, this is weird, it also added to the match in a way because it really felt like she just survived to get the win at the end and win the titles and, and save her, her unit. Yeah, what, so what did you, what was your rating overall? Like, what, would, what did you give it? We'll, uh, see how, we'll see how close we are. I wrote I wrote four and a quarter at least is what I wrote down. Oh, interesting. Okay, well I went four and a half, so we're okay. In so we're any close. measure not far off from each other. Yeah, it was really good. It just like four and a half to me. I'm kind of a low grader. Four and a half to me is match of the year level. Like it's a contender for match of the year, and it didn't get quite to that level for me, uh, but it was really excellent. Yeah, I thought it was really good. I mean, I don't have to talk really about Asuka anymore on this podcast, but she really is turning into me like a sort of Kota Ibushi type person where where is just willing to go out and do whatever to make the match great. I mean, every suplex she seems to take is directly on her neck. Even Even if the person doesn't lift her in that way, she will manipulate herself to make the suplex look great. She's a great, uh, as we've talked about previously, great at selling. Um, so to your point, that maybe she was, you know, she was tired, but it also could be, you know, the selling. We we don't know, but I thought it was a really strong match. Another tag match that I think, you know, I think this company does do very well with singles matches, and this is not to discount um, any of the great singles matches they've had this year or last year or the year before. But you look back at some of the best matches of the past year, let's say, in this company, and I think a majority of them are these tag matches. I think they have created an excellent tag division that is exciting. They have a lot of interesting teams that, you know, move around. You know, we had Arisa in the uh, Best Friends with Tsukasa Fujimoto. And we had Yoshiko and Suri when Suri was still around. And so I think that really 
this company has created a very, very strong sort of quote-unquote tag division, which is weird to say when there's only a handful of people actually signed officially to the company. But I think that has become one of their major strengths. I think that's a great point. Uh, That's true, and they do such a great job of putting on these short, digestible cards that are that often have those great quality tag matches at the top. Uh, so it's certainly an easy promotion to follow, easy promotion to enjoy. But they also, you know, like the Hota and Nico Kaiju thing, they will give you stories you can sink your teeth into also. Uh, and obviously the story of the main event. But you know, there's just a lot, uh, a lot that Seedling has done well, even during the pandemic. I don't know if I would say the best, probably not the best pandemic company, but certainly they've had a good, they've done a good job during COVID. I mean, they certainly seem like a company, you know, other companies have done very well, but this feels like a company to me that they don't have a huge roster. And if you were to sort of predict when this all began, if you somehow knew what would happen I don't know that you would say, oh, yes, this company with five people on the roster is going to continue to be very strong. I know I've had people say to me that Seedling is one of the companies that has kept up their interest in wrestling. You know, it's many companies have become more difficult to watch because of the crowds or other circumstances. And I think Seedling has done very well considering their circumstances. I mean, I'm frankly surprised and I don't mean this as any sort of insult to anyone and I sort of feel this way across all of wrestling not just Joshi I am very surprised that we have not seen more companies shut down during the pandemic because it's it's been very hard for everyone and for companies that don't have a big roster and probably you know, they do these shows and they draw 100 people or maybe they do a show at Corican and it draws 400 people. You know, it is tough for them. And I think Seedling has done a good job in presenting a product that they don't have control over a state of emergency or anything like that. But they have presented a product at least that is interesting and has in some ways adapted to the situation, you know, running these sort of shorter shows. Um and having these uh, show-to-show storylines, I think have really helped, and I think that they have done, I think if they're not the top, they're very near the top of companies that have done well in this period. All right, as I was watching this match, uh, I know we talk a lot about Asuka on this podcast, but don't you think it's insane that Asuka has not found herself signed to one of the two major Joshi companies, or signed to one of the two American wrestling companies at this point. Yeah, I actually was thinking, it's funny you bring that up because I was thinking about that during the match. And I am wondering, just because, trying to think about this sort of in a bigger scope than just, okay, it's just Asuka, you know, thinking about the whole thing that we're in a, you know, pandemic where, you know, people can go from Japan to the USA, but going back is tricky because you need the two-week quarantine. 
and but also thinking about let's say AEW was was interested to me Asuka is super talented so is it a thing where you want to bring her in I guess your options would be you bring her to the United States probably for a few weeks and then she has to go back or do you think okay she has the skill to do more than that which would be competing probably for the title and do you want to bring her in right now when the direction seems to be you know I don't know anything but it seems obvious to me that Britt Baker is going to win the title on Sunday and become the new champion and probably have some sort of extended reign with it and do you want to bring in this hot prospect when what would you do with her when she gets here because you have a new champion I guess you could have one title match but then Asuka would probably lose and then she would just sort of be floating in the middle like I would wait I would say okay we're in a pandemic we're not in a rush it certainly doesn't seem like WWE is interested unless there's something going on that I'm not aware of and hasn't been reported so if you're AEW, do you bring her in now, rush her in during a pandemic and she becomes just another sort of face in the mid card? Or do you wait for a time when maybe Britt Baker's had the title for a while and whatever's happened with her and you bring in Asuka as, you know, maybe Britt Baker's turned babyface because the crowd seems to really connect with her. Maybe she's babyface and you bring in Asuka as the big heel t- challenger who takes her down and wins the title or something like that. But I I think there's just so many different things that are going on everywhere. You know, I'm not sure that star, you know, I don't know if stardom has any interest in her. I don't know if she has any interest in going to stardom um, either. So there's just sort of a lot of moving parts. And part of it is maybe Asuka, you know, likes just doing these seedling shows or doing freelance shows and being able to go here and there and being zero one and things like that. So there's a lot of unknowns in the equation. I don't disagree with any of that. It just seems to be that with all the options that exist, she should be signed somewhere. That's just my, just my view. If she doesn't want to be, if she's talked to all these people and they're not interested, or I'm sorry, she's not interested then that's fine. Um, You know, that's up to her, obviously. But she, to me, is just far and away the best wrestler in Joshi who is not either signed to a company or runs a company. You know, the, the, the best person that could be signed to a different company, um, I think, is Asuka. So it's just, it's... Shocking to me that she's not a bigger deal than she is. And obviously she's great, but, you know, she should be making the big bucks is all I'm saying. Yeah, I agree. And I, you know, my hope would be, you know, if we obviously know that she is interested in wrestling in the U.S. She had the booking at WrestleMania uh, last year. That was last year. Yeah, last year before it was canceled. So there is some interest for her to wrestle in the United States. And certainly my hope would be that if the United States is her end goal, that she would choose AEW because not only 
Do I think that that's a better choice? But it also enables her to continue to return to uh, Japan to wrestle if she wants or if she's needed somewhere. Like, and this is maybe a a good segue, uh, like Ryu Mizunami, who returned at the end of this show. Amazing. Great job, Taylor. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> I thought of that as I was saying the words and I was like, this is pretty Yeah, good. Mizunami did return. You know, there was, I'd kind of assumed that maybe she was just going to be in AEW. Uh, but then, yeah, she hadn't been around for a while and she shows back up in, uh, at Seedling. So back on the scene, Mizunami, she looked like a big star. Yeah, I guess it should have been maybe a, not a red flag, but a, some sort of indication that, Maybe she was going back when she lost to Abaddon on Dark or Dark Elevator. I don't remember which show, uh, which was quite shocking uh, to me, at least. But it makes sense that she would lose if she's going to go, and she'll be there at least for a couple weeks. Um, she has, she's in um, an Oz show, which we'll talk about coming up, and she is booked for the upcoming seedling shows in the middle of June, which we'll talk about next time. Um, so she will be in Japan for at least a little bit. Um, you know, it could just be, hey, we don't have anything for you right now. You want to go back to Japan for a month? Sure, okay, and then you can come back. You know, again, if Brit wins the title on Sunday, then there's a new champion, and you could maybe build Mizunami back up to be a, to be a challenger for her um, or whatever. But if you're not needed, you can go back, and I think that that's one of the, ben- one of the great benefits of doing AEW is that these people can come back and occasionally appear. We've seen Riho in uh, Gato Move, Chaco Pro, uh, Sheeta's come back as well. So, you know, I'm happy to have her back. It's exciting. She feels like, you know, sort of like a fresh cone of paint. She's got the AEW title, uh, AEW tournament trophy with her which i think is fun so excited to have her back for however long uh, she's in japan um riho i mean we didn't include this in our news but has apparently uh suggested that her base of operations is going to be in the united states don't really know what that means and it was tied to a an announcement of starting a fan club but it seemed to suggest that perhaps she's going to be spending more time in the u.s going forward i mean her the saga of Riho has been a bizarre one since uh, since COVID happened. It has been very bizarre. She seemingly was in the AEW women's tournament and then completely disappeared from anywhere. She wasn't wrestling anywhere. People weren't entirely sure where she was. She's on the show, on the AEW show on Sunday, so she's certainly back in the U.S. now. And I guess she will be staying in the U.S. for a while. I'm not sure why she would be going back to Japan at all anyway, even without this announcement, because she's not in stardom anymore. And she she had only appeared for in a, you know, one or two Choco Pro shows. Um, that video did. It just reminds you that. She started it by saying, hey, I'm celebrating my 15th anniversary in wrestling. And you remember that she started when she was eight years old. And you're like, oh, she's 23 and celebrating her 15th anniversary in wrestling. Yes, it was very funny to read that it was her 15th. So, Riho's cool. I would just like to watch her wrestle more, you know? So, 
Wherever she's going to be based, I just would like her to wrestle there. <laughs> I don't care where it is. I uh, just like to see it. So Well, and with AEW getting this extra show, and now they have two dark, you know, dark and dark elevation, you would think they have room to put her on these more shows because they've got the time to, to fill. Yeah. Also, you know, they could put more women's matches on Dynamite if they wanted. Okay, uh, well, let's talk about other stuff that's gone on over the past week. No other big shows we really wanted to cover in great depth, but there's a few things to uh, to talk about, to point out. Yeah, so uh, Stardom had two shows on the 22nd and 23rd. The 23rd, they had a, a little tribute to Hanakamura. They did a Mayu Iwatani against Julia singles match. Um, that was actually reported about in the Wrestling Observer as well. Um, but the big, on the 21st, Hanukkah matinee show, uh, which happened at Corican Hall. It was originally a three-match show. They had a sort of independent men's opener, uh, a battle royal with a lot of talent, uh, which was super fun. And then the original main event was Asuka, Miyamomono, Natsupoi, and Siri against Hazuki and Kagetsu and Death, Yamasan and Konami. Uh, after the match, it was decided that Asuka and Kagetsu would have a singles match, uh, which they did. Asuka came out victorious. I watched the show live. I thought it was an excellent show. It was available, very easy to purchase on Fight TV, uh, a very reasonable price. Uh, Ian Riccoboni and uh, the famous CB, formerly known as Cheeseburger, uh, were on commentary. I thought they did a really good job. You know, they said at the beginning that there were people on the show that they were less familiar with. Um, but I thought that they were really strong. They kept the show very light, very happy, very fun. You know, they were clearly enjoying what they were watching. There was a lot of goofiness in the Battle royal. Uh, which certainly helped. But overall, I thought it was a very, I thought it was a really, really strong show. One that I would recommend um, for people who are, uh, I had a friend ask me, you know, should I watch the show? How was it? What did you think? And I said, you know, I was actually surprised that during the show itself, sort of the in-ring part of the show, that they did keep it very light. And I had a good job. You know, after the last match, after Kigetsu and Asuka ended, they did do uh, some video tributes. They had some in-ring segments, which were emotional. So if you're someone who was um, anxious about watching the show or you were wondering about that, I told my friend who asked me, I said, if you were to watch just the in-ring stuff and turn the show off after the in-ring stuff ended, I think that it would mostly be fine because it was mostly light and the emotional stuff came after the wrestling. Um, but it gets my recommendation. You'll hear I'll uh, be listing a number of these matches in my recommended matches section. So overall, I thought it was a really great show. Um, and I, I should say, you know, last episode, I was very critical of, of stardom for their lack of involvement. And they did send a few people to the show. So, you know, Shouts to them for doing that. Uh, we should also say, you know, there were some interviews with Hazuki and Kagetsu afterward. Uh, Kagetsu pretty well shut the door on 
any further return to wrestling. But Hazuki w- uh, was open to the idea that she might return to wrestling one day. Yeah, I had always assumed that Kagetsu, um, you know, she talked about when they first announced the show that she was unsure about coming back because she had retired and she had sort of put this promise out there that, you know, this will be my last match and, and this is so on and so forth. And so I always sort of assumed that this was going to be a one-off situation. Um, there was commentary, Ian Ricca- Ian and uh, CB were talking about, you know, if Kagetsu were to come back tomorrow, she would have many companies that would be excited to, you know, possibly sign her. And some people were saying, well, do they know something? But I think that they were just sort of talking, you know, it was complimentary. Um, Hazuki, I thought, was one of the standouts of the show, certainly one of the standouts of the main event. She had a great... uh, sequence with Mio uh, Momono, who I also thought was really great. I personally, I don't know what she's going to do. I don't have any inside information. I hope she comes back. She was really good. It's clear she's still super talented, even though she hasn't been active. You know, she came back and had this great match, still doing all the stuff she used to do. So I don't know what the future holds, but I would love for her to come back. I think that she's um, really great, but if neither of them ever come back, if they never wrestle another match again, I was happy to be able to uh, see them here on this show. It is interesting to think of like how the landscape of wrestling has changed since they retired. Um, obviously, kind of the Bushi Road thing was in effect or you know in process when they retired. But, you know, AEW didn't really exist, um, as I recall anyway. I could be mixing this up. Uh, But, yeah, Kagetsu could probably, if she, you know, maybe she wants to, you know, just have a normal life uh, in Japan. But she could probably sign with any number of American companies and make a good living for herself. Uh, But Hazuki, one of my favorite wrestlers, would be overjoyed to to have her back. But, uh, as you said, if we don't see them again... Uh, at least they went out in a very touching way. Totally. Totally agree. Uh, also on the 23rd was Oz had a show. Uh, the big match there was Sony Kokado retaining the Oz title against Kakaru Sekiguchi. Uh, Tokyo Joshi had two shows, uh, two sort of house shows on the 22nd. And then... Um, just a few hours ago before we filmed this, before we fil- we were not filming, we're taping, we're recording. Before we recorded this. This is uh, live, Taylor. We're live, pal. Um, <laughs> uh, Tokyo Joshi had their fourth pay-per-view, which was an 11 on 11, two teams matches, uh, 11 singles matches. It was spring and summer birthdays against fall and winter birthdays and... Uh, spring and summer won after Maki Ito pinned Yuki Aeno in the main event. It was tied 5-5 five to five going into that. So Maki Ito, actually they went to sudden death, one count pin. Uh, and Maki Ito managed to um, roll her up for the one count. Um, Ice Ribbon has been very busy over the last two weeks. Um, the Peas Party IWQ tournament started 
uh, Tekla, Matsuyu Uno, Madeline, and Totoro Satsuki advanced to the semifinals, um, which will be coming up. Uh, Risa Sarah retained her Fantast Ice title over Akane Fujita. And then on the 23rd, uh, Tekla defended her Triangle Ribbon against Hamako and Ibuki Hoshi. And Tsukasha Fujimoto retained the Ice Infinity title over Totoro Satsuki. And then a show that is happening tomorrow as we record this, but will have already happened um, by the time that this is released. A show on the 30th with the 6th of the 7-match Suzu Suzuki Hardcore Trial Series, Suzu Suzuki and Abdullah Kobayashi, and Tsukasa Fujimoto bringing a sort of end to this stretch of lots of Infinity title matches very quickly, defending her title against Tehanma. So that should be a good match as well. Wave, in the two weeks uh, since we last recorded, has held and completed... Their Catch the Wave Young Block Tournament and Tomiko Anaba defeated Chie Ozora in the finals. Um, the A Block winner against the B Block winner. Uh, I caught all those shows. I thought they were very fun. I know that we have a question. Um, to give a little spoiler, we have a question coming up about rookies to uh, keep your eye on in different promotions. And I thought that the Young Block was a great... Uh, sort of quick look into some of these talented younger wrestlers from a number of different companies. I thought Anaba was a good winner. I thought that she really stood out for me in my mind. I think that she has an advantage because she has a very defined um, sort of in-ring style. She has a sort of more submission-based grappling style than some of these other wrestlers who are still sort of getting into what their style is in ring. So I thought that she was an excellent choice uh, to win and she will move on to the full catch the wave tournament, which we'll talk about in the upcoming shows. And then chuckle pro the last two weeks was highlighted by a big match, the pencil army, uh, Lulu pencil, Emmy pencil and Minoru pencil against Chris Brooks, Asuka, and Yuna Mizumori. That was a big match as the feud between Lulu Pencil and the Pencil Army against Chris Brooks continues. All right. Well, that's some of the stuff that happened recently. You teased this already, Taylor. So tell us uh, just some of... If people were just going to pick a handful of matches to watch from the past two weeks, what would you recommend? So the first one I would recommend, we talked about it at length, but uh, Citrus Wind, Arisa Nakajima, and Nanai Takahashi against Asuka and Makoto from the May 26th Seedling Show. You can check that out on Seedling Live. I believe it is still available. Um, and then three matches from the Hanakamura Memorial Show, the Battle Royal, I would recommend. I thought it was a lot of fun. You'll see a lot of different people. They... I mean, it seemed for a while that people were just continuously coming out, big names, um, both in the world of Joshi and in men's wrestling. And then the original main event, Asuka, Miyamomono, Natsupoi, and Siri against Hazuki Kagetsu, Death Yamasan, and Konami. A really strong match, really reminded me a lot of a sort of classic stardom multi-person match lots going on lots of dives things like that i thought it was excellent 
And then the uh, impromptu main event, Kagetsu against Asuka, another match I would really recommend. And frankly, I would recommend the whole show. Uh, This isn't Joshi, but the men's match, which opened the show, I also thought was a lot of fun. And there were a number of wrestlers in that match who I had never seen before and came away very impressed by their work. So overall, that really that whole show, only four matches, gets a recommendation from me. And Lulu Pencil, Emmy Pencil, and Minoru Pencil against Chris Brooks, Asuka, and Yuna Mizumori from Gato Move Chaco Pro 120 on May 25th. That's available on YouTube. This one is the the match I was talking about before. I wasn't like the seedling main event. I wasn't crazy about the quote unquote in ring uh, work in this one. It wasn't the best I've seen in Chaco Pro, but I think that this story and this feud is really great. And I think that they had a lot of story in this and it made it really interesting and really hooked me in. All right. Well, I, of course, uh, co-signed the the tag match, the tag title match from Seedling. I would also throw in the Hota and Nico Kaiju match. Haven't seen the Hana show, so and probably will not see it. So hard for me to say, Uh, but great list from Taylor. All right, we, as I suggested earlier, we have uh, accepted some questions, so we will run through those before we get into what's coming up over the next couple of weeks. Uh, so first up, from uh, the Glate Muta on Twitter, uh, what's the biggest possible match in all of Joshi right now? Well, I think there's probably two answers, because the first one is, what is the biggest possible realistic match, and probably... The other one is what is the biggest possible unrealistic match? I think probably the biggest match currently would probably be that Utami Julia match, which seemingly is being built to. Um, you know, Julia is the big sort of hot star of stardom right now. Utami has the title, at least for the moment. So that to me, would seem to be the biggest match I could think of. Of course, if you think of, you know, thinking outside the box, does, you know, for example, does Kyrie Hojo show up again somewhere? If she shows up, you would think that she would have any number of matches with any number of people in any number of companies. That would be uh, probably very good and would draw people in because, you know, it's Kyrie Hojo. She hasn't been around for a while. And she. there are a number of fresh matchups that would probably get eyeballs. That's fair. I'm glad you didn't pick uh, my pick for the biggest match in all of Joshi, <clears throat> which is Julia versus Tsukasa Fujimoto. Ah, okay. To me, that that would be the big. That's like the hottest match to me you could possibly put on. And by hottest, I mean, you know, the most heat. Yes. Well, and it also sort of has the backstory of uh, Julia's entrance into stardom as right. well. Right. That's my. Yeah. That's what I'm getting at. Yes. Um, so yeah, that too, I was just trying to like mix. Obviously, Julia is the biggest star in Joshi. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. I'm sure somebody will, but I, they shouldn't. 
Uh, so I was trying to think, like, what's, like, the biggest matchup for Julia? And you think, okay, Julia versus, you know, Yamashita. That'd be cool. But if you put Julia with uh, Tsuka, that is uh, just possibly a nasty match, <laughs> which I would like to see. Uh, other than that, I, yeah, I agree, especially on your realistic ones. Um, the interesting one to me in Tokyo Joshi Pro, it's, you know, to me, the next really big moment in Tokyo Joshi Pro is when Mizuki finally wins the title. And I don't think that match with, like, Mizuki versus Yamashita doesn't really get me fired up. But if uh, Yuka becomes the Tokyo Joshi Pro champion again, and Mizuki beats her for the title, I think that's a, a big match. Yeah, uh, you're totally right. It is interesting to think, because we did talk about this before, whether the path is to getting Yuka the title back and Mizuki beats Yuka, or they have Mizuki beat someone else, and then they have the Yuka-Mizuki match in their back pocket as a roles reversed type of match. I'll be interested to see, you know, if Yuka wins the title at uh, Cyber Fight, that might be the indication that they're going to go with that path of Mizuki beating Yuka. But if Miyu holds on to the title, maybe they go the other way. Yeah, that all makes sense to me. But I do think that Mizuki Yuka match is is the big match in that promotion. Uh, again from the Glate Muda, when things open up again, what new gaijin would you like to see over in Japan? I also will say I believe the username is the Great Muda, uh, because that it's I believe it's a pun on the promote the new promotion Great, uh, which is spelled G L E A T. Sure. Uh, uh yeah. I mean. You know, R's can often be given that L pronunciation in, in Japanese, so that's just how it goes. Um, but my answer is, I want to see Jade Cargill in Seedling. Hell yeah. That's, that's what one. I've been thinking about since literally the moment she debuted. Is I'm like, she has got to go to Seedling, and she should form a tag team with, you know... Not kicking out Makoto, but she should form a tag team with Asuka. Because, frankly, they are similarly very hyper-athletic. And I think having her there and, you know, working with someone who probably has a very similar experience of figuring out how to work in very high levels of athleticism into, you know, women's wrestling. I think that she would learn a lot and I think she would get very good very fast. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that's the best answer. So I'm not sure that I can uh, overcome that one. But there's definitely like I see a lot of people on Dark and Elevation that I think, man, if they got a chance to go spend some time in Japan, that would be very helpful to them. But also people who are on Dynamite. I mean, Ty Conti is already great, but she like really fits the Joshi style. I would love to see her uh, really go to any Joshi promotion and just exchange kicks with people and, and go nuts. Um, Anna Jay, of course, uh, when she is, when she is better, uh, and there's a lot of other people that show up on those shows, you know, who aren't quite on that level, but like, uh, Tesha Price, who I really like and who I think has, uh, a real possibility of being something. 
and could really use, you know, a couple of months in Japan to to work on everything she's doing. So there's tons of people I could pick out off of uh, off of those shows, but those are some of the ones that come to mind immediately. Other, of course, than people who have already been over there, your Thunder Rosa, uh, Jamie Hader, who I hope to see back over there, those kind of things. Um, Arandi Sali, I'm sure I pronounced that wrong. I apologize. Uh, if you want to DM me and tell me how to pronounce your name, I will uh, do it correctly next time. Do you think Stardom is wasting their singles matches on house shows? Um, I don't. Aaron, what do you think about this one? Um, I mean, I yes, in that they the way they run shows and the way they book those shows now means that they give away a lot of singles matches. And it didn't used to be this way. Like they used to, and you can argue about whether this is a good or bad thing, but you know, they used to start the shows with many more uh, multi-person matches, many more matches featuring, you know, the, the judoka twins and blah, blah, blah. And the cards are a lot different now. And that leads to a lot of singles matches happening to the point where it's honestly hard to get excited about a lot of the big singles matches in stardom because it feels like you've already seen them before. Yeah, it feels like stardom is in a weird space right now where obviously I think the best model, if if you're trying to become very big, um, is to you know, look at the New Japan model where a lot of those house shows, smaller shows, end up with largely all tag matches. And then you save singles matches or big tag matches or things like that for your bigger shows. You load up certain shows or you have, for example, Korakins that maybe you put one or two strong matches on. But I'm not sure that Stardom is to the place where New Japan is, where they can just go out to these house shows and say, well, here's six, um, you know, random tag matches that don't have huge stakes to them. I don't know that they're at that stage in their growth. So I think part of it is that they need some of these matches on the house shows to draw people in. But it is a tough line between having these matches and then having matches and then when you need it for a bigger show saying, okay, well, that's nice, but they've already faced off X number, you know, one other time or X number of times on these house shows. It does sort of cut a little bit out of the potential of saving the matches and making them bigger deals. Yeah, you're right. New Japan used to do a great job of making sure they kept people separate for a long time, uh, knowing, you know, at some point they were going to do a big match. Uh, you know, but it's something, we talk about this a lot, that would be helped by a much better idea of hierarchy within the promotion. I think people got mad when I called it the mid-card morass, but uh, stand by it. It's just like, it's fine if you have these singles matches where... You know, these people have matched up a lot, but somebody at the bottom, uh, let's say, you know, Mina Shirakawa, uh, just always loses. You know, like she's always getting beaten by uh, Julia or whatever. 
And then, I mean, not that I don't think Shirakawa was ever going to rise up to beat Julia, but, you know, put in the people of your choice here. And then, you know, you kind of see her uh, get closer, get better, and then ultimately, you know, she can beat her three years later or whatever. Like, you can do it that way, but they feel kind of like thrown away matches. It does make sense from a business perspective, as you said. Um, But the, the other thing is... And there used to be a lot of talk about this around New Japan when it was the hottest thing going. You know, there's really no reason for us to watch all these house shows, for anybody to watch all these house shows. Uh, You know, they are intended for, and I think Stardom makes it very clear that they intend their shows for the live crowd. Uh, So, you know, if you feel like the matches are wasted or thrown away, you don't have to watch it. You can wait until they show up. Uh, in Coroquin or, you know, in one of the, the arena shows and pay attention to those and not care that uh, these two people already had three singles matches in uh, Fukuoka or whatever. Yeah, and it's one of those things that it's so great that we have access to all these shows. You know, in 2021, we can see all these different promotions you know, that even a couple years ago that we couldn't see in really any form. I mean, you think about the extreme example is Diana, who never, shows never made tape. And now pretty much, you know, 80% of their shows make tape. And it's amazing and it's so great and you can see all these new wrestlers. But there is a point of a lot of these companies are not designed for someone to see every single show that gets put on. I mean, in years past, when not everything was making tape, and let's say you lived in Japan, you would see the shows that came to your town, or if you lived in Tokyo, you could see shows at Korokin, or if they did a big show. The the sort of wrestling, the way wrestling works largely for these bigger promotions that run these sort of house show type shows it isn't designed to for someone to see everything so you don't have to feel like oh i have to watch every single show or else i i'll be totally lost you know i think it is better to even if you love a promotion even if you love everything they do to not feel the pressure to have to see every single thing because that's not the way largely that it's designed to be consumed. Right. Uh, Japanese wrestling is still largely a, a live event based um, world or, or idea. So it, it's still, the shows are still created to be consumed by the people who bought a ticket and showed up in person. We just happen to get to see it. So I would strongly recommend to everyone to not try to watch every show. If you see a match that sticks out to you, you know, nothing wrong with with that. Uh, But I certainly would just encourage people to, uh, you know, to be a little more um, choosy. (laughs) Because you will, I mean, I've done it to myself at times with stardom. You will burn yourself out on the product. So just don't do it. It's funny here coming from Taylor, though. Taylor watches everything that is on tape in every company, I think. Uh, no, it's... 
I, I do watch a lot, but I don't, you know, and there were years past where I did feel that compulsion to say, oh, well, I've got to watch everything because if I don't, I'll be totally lost. But it puts a lot of pressure on yourself, and I think it does hurt your enjoyment to make, to to put that need on yourself to say, I have to see everything, because then it becomes a uh, task instead of something you do for enjoyment. I mean, I'm thinking about New Japan when I watch New Japan more regularly. I mean, there was two years where I saw every single New Japan show that was on New Japan World. And I was like, great, what an accomplishment. But I realized that, you know, you watch some of those shows where you're like, there's no matches that interest me and I'm just watching this to check off a box of I've watched this show when I could be watching something else, you know, have a little variety or if there's a, you know, company you've never watched, instead of watching another house show from whatever company or smaller show, you can say, hey, let me check out some other promotion that I've never seen and maybe I get really into them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, it's, you know, I don't consume wrestling like a regular person does, probably just because it's like I have to watch every AEW show. There's Taylor tells me every other week which Joshi shows I have to watch. <laughs> and so I kind of uh, I have a set list of things I have to consume. So I basically suggest everyone to not live my life. Basically, um, choose choose your own adventure in this world. You could say, Aaron, you chose to do these podcasts. You'd be right about that. So I uh, can't argue with that. Which company, Taylor? Ooh, a, a break in the old voice. I haven't heard that in. 20 years, probably. Good to, good to know. I can still do that. Which company do you feel regularly puts on the best tournaments? This is from Arcade underscore Sam on Twitter. So there, there aren't a ton of companies doing tournaments. I guess Tokyo Joshi, Stardom. I mean, my answer would be, you know, a couple of years ago, it would have been very obviously would have been Wave because I think Catch the Wave, when Catch the Wave is really good, I think it's by far the best tournament in Joshi. I think that they've shown an ability to get wrestlers from all over the Joshi landscape. So you get really interesting matchups that maybe you've never seen before. Of course, Wave has sort of taken a hit in the last few years, they didn't have a catch the wave tournament last year. And so it's been a little different. So I think the probably obvious answer now would be stardom just because they have probably the biggest talent pool in terms of doing these tournaments. But if wave could ever sort of get back to that point, I always enjoy watching catch the wave the most because of that breadth of talent that they use. Yeah, I would say, I mean, you're right, but I would, for nowadays, I would say Tokyo Joshi Pro, even though they don't do um, a ton of them, but I think they do it the right way in that they always keep the matches short and fun, and their tournaments for me are always more light and breezy and, and easy to, to make it through than most companies. So if I had to choose today, I'd probably choose Tokyo Joshi Pro. All right, I'm going to put the next two. Oh, no, that's not right. After that, I'm going to put the next two questions together. 
if stardom is the WWE of Joshi and that it is the largest promotion and Seattle Fern on Twitter, you're going to get a lot of pushback on that. What does the rest of the hierarchy look like? Who are the top five? Which promotion is AW, NXT, Impact, ROH, uh, et cetera? So, um, you know, your hierarchy of Joshi, Taylor, what do you think? Okay, so stardom's number one. Obviously, that's the assumption. I think AEW is, or the number two would be, to me right now, would be Tokyo Joshi. I think that they've got a hot product. I think that they're gaining interest um, and more eyeballs to the product. I think three, probably a very close three, would be Ice Ribbon. I just think they run a big number of shows. They have a great, very talented roster. They're able to run Korokin quite frequently. So I think that they're definitely in the upper tier. You know, those sort of three are, to me, in my mind, the big three of Joshi. Four and five are tough, you know, because now you're talking about a lot of companies that, you know, I personally may enjoy or maybe I enjoy less, but in terms of, you know, the size of the promotion, what is the difference between, you know, a a Sendai Girls and a Marvelous and a Seedling? I would probably put... I would probably put Oz Academy next just because I know that they're able to, you know, they often do have that big show once a year where they're able to get a large crowd. So I think that they're still at the top uh, tier. And then I think number five, I'll do Seedling. Uh, They haven't been great at drawing, but I think that they've presented a strong product in the way that in this question, number five is Ring of Honor. And I think Ring of Honor has done a good job during the pandemic of sort of presenting an interesting product. So I I do like the the similarities there between a Ring of Honor doing this, you know, pure title tournament and things like that, and Seedling, which has done the various interesting storylines and matches that we talked about uh, earlier in the show. Yeah, I pretty much completely agree. I mean, I, I guess I knew you would come up with Oz Academy as, as number four, since you're a big Oz head. But the fact that they can sell that really big show once a year, I think, puts them ahead of, of everybody else. And then it's, uh, it's pretty tight there at the bottom. But one thing else in Seedling's favor is, as we talked about earlier, their ability during the pandemic, I think, to, to keep running at the strength they have been, I think, speaks highly of, of their strength as a company. All right, I'll put the next two together. Uh, Prince in the, this is, we put, these questions not only on our Twitter at jbombaudio, but also in the Voices of Wrestling Discord. One is, can you, this is Prince in the Discord, can you list some promising rookies to follow from different promotions? And then uh, Velkej, who, uh, again, I think I've asked whether I pronounce Velkej correctly, and I have no clue if I do, so let me know. Although maybe you've let me know before. Uh, I have a very bad, very bad memory. But... After Prince asked if you can list some promising rookies, Velkej asked, why is Rico Kaiju the best rookie? And what is the not best rookie, Honori Hana, missing? So let's talk rooks. Well, I'll say, as I mentioned, I think that the Catch the Wave um, young block was a good showcase for a lot of rookies. I would say my quick thoughts would be Ai Hozan from Marvelous. Um, I haven't seen a ton of her. 
but I think that the pedigree of the marvelous training system between uh, Mio, Momono, and Meiho Shizuki, and Maria, and um, all those people is quite strong, and I would think that that would continue. I know that the standards there are very high, and I would assume that Ihozan is going to get to wrestle a lot of those very talented people, so someone to keep an eye out on based on sort of the past history of Marvelous turning out very talented rookies. Uh, Tomika Naba is one we talked about winning the young block, uh, and we don't really talk a ton about uh, Just Tap Out in here, but coming from Just Tap Out, very talented. And then my third would be Shizuku Tsukata, who is the rookie from Wave, uh, I just think she's really interesting because Wave has not had a rookie in a while. Um, her booking has been interesting in terms of she's gone to some time limit draws with some more experienced wrestlers. You know, she got into this young block, uh, this young block catch the wave tournament. So I think that those are really the three newer wrestlers. I think there are others. You know, to me, someone like Rico Kaiju is more experienced. So. I tend to think, well, people are watching her because now she's more experienced. She feels less like a quote-unquote rookie to me, even though she is still very young. Um, and to answer that question, you know, I think Riku, Riku Kaiju has in her personality, in her charisma, a, an edge to her that I think is really you know, draws you in in a way that I think Hanori Hana doesn't quite have yet. Um, which is fine. It's just that little bit of interesting edge. I think Hanori Han is more of sort of a happy-go-lucky baby face, and Riku Kaiju has a little little streak of um, something in her, you know, slyness or something like that, that I think is a little bit more interesting to watch. Okay. Uh, I guess I would also mention. I don't know Prince in the Discord. I don't know what they watch, you know. But obviously, if you're just paying attention to uh, some of the main companies, of course, we didn't mention Yuki Arai, who's the newest Tokyo Joshi Pro rookie. Uh, you did talk about Riko Kaiju. Does Stardom have a rookie? I guess Lady C is technically a rookie, right? Uh, yeah. So, but she's really the only one. That that's something interesting about Stardom is that they've brought in a lot of new people, but they haven't debuted many new people, as far as like new people to wrestling uh, during the the Bushi Road era. So yeah, those are some other people to think about. But you probably already know those people. But I just wanted to make sure. Um, Velkesh also asked, Will Chigusa Nagayo storm the LDP offices and beat Suga with a running three down the stairs? This is beyond my um, level of knowledge of Japanese politics, probably. <laughs> uh, I would say at this point, if the show is canceled or postponed again, I probably would say yes. Um, as we probably all would be very annoyed if we were trying to run a big show that was going to most likely affect uh, what happens in our entire promotion and stories and things like that, uh, would probably be very annoyed to have this uh, show continually put off. Um, I would certainly like to see the show, so I can only imagine the person putting the show together um, 
might feel slightly stronger than I do. Uh, now, here's a tough one. This is from uh, the, the White Dragon herself, Rika Tatsumi, on the Discord. Thank you for joining the Discord, Rika. Uh, plot your Hikari Noah international uh, princess title defenses, including who she loses to. This is very tough for me. Yeah, I could probably get a couple of defenses, but I'm trying to think who she loses to. Right. Is interesting. Because I could see, like, in my mind, I could see a Suzume challenge, because I think that that would probably be a good match, a good learning experience, but she doesn't need to win particularly. Like, I could maybe see a Palm Harajuku uh, title challenge. Um, but I'm trying to, like, it's so funny because I don't, well, I'm just thinking when Yuki won the title, I probably could have said, okay, Hakari will be coming at some point. But there isn't anyone to me who sticks out as, oh, this is going to be the next person who they're going to start to build. And to me, the only person that really sticks out to me is Mirai Mayumi, but they may have bigger plans for her. That's the only thing that gives me pause. Yeah, Mayumi definitely sticks out to me. Uh, what do you think about the idea? Like, she she feels above this, but what do you think about the idea of Ito winning it? Yeah, I guess I guess that is that I would feel that Ito's end path would be higher than that, would be Princess of Princess. And so I don't know that they would have her win the international just to have her lose it and then have to build her back up again to win Princess of Princess. That's the only thing I'm not sure about. Because it certainly seems to me like Ito, even where she's slotted now without a title, is slightly above that sort of international level in terms of where she's positioned on the card and the fan reaction to her. It feels to me very much like this international title, ever since Thunder Rosa had to vacate it, has become a title of building up people who haven't had those opportunities yet. And I feel like Ito has had that those opportunities and that her next step is sort of the top of the company. I was trying to find, you know, like a, a singles match that Hikari Noah lost that she could try to avenge, but it's all either people who are, you know, above her on the card who I don't think she would beat for the for the princess title, or uh, it's Natsumi Maki, who I don't think she's going to be facing anytime soon. So I was hopeful that would, would give me some sort of idea, but uh, it, it really doesn't. She's already... Um, She's already gotten the better of Yuki, who beat her. So, and I don't think she's going to be facing Yamashita for the International Princess title anytime soon. So, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, your Rakus, your uh, Suzume, for sure. Uh, Palm, as you mentioned. But, yeah, Mayumi is the one, as you said, that, that makes the most sense uh, to me. Uh, Yuki Aino does have a singles victory over Hikari Noah from the Spring Beautiful one-day tournament. So they could certainly run that match. Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting thought I didn't even think about. She didn't even cross my mind, but I think that would be 
I think that would be good. And Ito does also have a singles match win over Hikari Noah. So actually, Yuki Aino has a couple of singles wins over Hikari Noah. So uh, that might be worth uh, that might be worth an, an interesting defense. Okay, what do we have next? We have uh, Armani Shoe Exchange from the Discord says, I know you love exes making appearances on stardom shows. Yes, we do. So who do you think are the exes for stars versus Oedo Tai, uh, the match they're going to have at Ota Ward? Well, I'm going to say Oedo Tai seems to me to be Natsu Sumire. Uh, that seems sort of like an obvious one. She's been out for a while with an injury. He was in Oedo Tai already. So that one is less of a guess and more of a prediction. For stars, I'm going to go into left field and I'm going to say Yusuke Aikawa because that's what I want to happen. Wow, I love that. That would be excellent. Um, Well, they did have another return recently on a show, right? So They did, Koguma. Right, so that would make sense. I just don't know who else is out there as far as like it doesn't feel like someone is no one has like gone freelance lately or or left a company lately so it's hard to imagine like somebody just suddenly jumping from another company so i don't really see that i, I honestly i don't know i just think it's like very hard to predict unless it's just a freelancer who's coming in you know what i'm who's like already freelancing your oscars your saurianos those sort of people and i don't see that happening so I, I don't know. I'll be I'll be surprised, whoever it is. Yeah, people like that feel sort of slightly bigger than yeah. an X in this match. So I didn't even I didn't even really think about them. And it it does it would seem weird to get someone like that in when it what usually happens is it's like I'm going freelance and then they sign where those people have been freelance or I know is with um, Ice Ribbon now. That's been happening for a while, so it would seem strange that this would be the moment to bring them in. Right. I agree. So, but, I mean, Aikawa also seems too big for this moment. Uh, so, I really don't know. Sorry, Armani Shoe Exchange. <clears throat> I wish I had a better idea. Uh, if wrestling was like sports, what Joshi trade would you make? For example, Miyu Yamashita for Tom Nakano. All right. Gov- this is the governor, I think, on the Discord. Um, so I saw this question and I thought about this and I, I came up with a trade and I think in real life, none of the promotions would agree to this trade, but I thought it was interesting. Okay. So it's a three promotion trade. Here we go. Stardom trades away. Jungle Kiona, Momo Watanabe and Konami. Seedling gets Momo Watanabe and Ice Ribbon gets Jungle Kiona and Konami. And in return, Stardom would receive Honori Hana, Riko Kaiju, Naoi Shikawa, Mika Ozaki, and Tekla. I love this, Taylor, honestly. I, I sat down for like half an hour and I, th- I thought, okay, how would this work? Because I figured... For stardom, you are trading away, you know, Momo would be the tough one because Momo is so young to me, but that's, 
why, you know, she goes to Seedling and gets both rookies. And I was thinking for Seedling, you might take the chance that you like those rookies. They're very good. But you're getting Momo back, who is also very young. It isn't like you're trading two rookies for like a 35-year-old who's going to retire in two years. And then I just thought it would be interesting for Ice Ribbon to get Jungle, to get Konami. You know, they trade away sort of... It's sort of a two-for-two trade, and then Ishikawa is thrown in, because you might think, okay, that's a younger wrestler, but they also have Mashiro. So that was just in my mind. I'm not sure any of those promotions would look at that trade and think, this is a great trade, but that's what I came up with. No, it's kind of great because, you know, Stardom needs that, like, that level of wrestler, I feel like. Uh, their cards really don't have those at this point. Um, Momo, yes, she's young, but I, to me, I hope I'm proven wrong on this, but to me it feels like she's done all she will ever do in Stardom. Like, I think she's... I mean, she reached a pretty high peak. She has the white belt defense record, but I don't think she will ever uh, be a white or red champion again in stardom. So it'd be great for her to kind of be able to spread her wings somewhere else. Um, This to me was really hard because it's like I was trying to think of what companies need that they don't have. And I think you nailed that because I, I was like, well, how do you in- include Tokyo Joshi Pro? And I, I don't think Tokyo Joshi Pro needs anything. At this point, I kind of think the promotion is set up about exactly as you'd like it to be. Yeah, that was my problem. I was thinking about Tokyo Joshi and I th- I thought both they don't really need anything. And I don't think they would really want to trade anyone away unless you're thinking about someone who's so far down the card like Haruna Neko. But I'm like, who, where would she go? You know, it isn't like. She is you know, a game changer where you could trade her somewhere and it would be like, oh, and it's a new start and she's going to really blow people away. I I think she is at this point sort of that opening match wrestler. And that was the only person I could think of because everyone else in Tokyo Joshi, either I think Tokyo Joshi wants or would definitely not want to trade away even if they were to get someone great back because I think they have a lot of great talent already. What do you think about Saki Kashima for Haruna Neko? Well, <laughs> I was trying to think when you said Haruna Neko, you know, a classic sports trade is like two people who need a change of scenery, you know, who kind of maxed out maybe at what they're doing. Uh, and maybe that would be true for, um, for Saki Kashima. See, to me, if I were stardom and I was going to trade away Saki Kashima, I would probably want someone like, um, and I like we're now doing like trade machine trades on uh, yes. the, the podcast. Um, like I would want someone like Palm Harajuku because I would say, okay, she's a lower card wrestler, but she's still pretty new. And I think that there's some potential there where I think the trade for stardom would be, okay, we'll give you Kashima. Who And that would be a tough trade just because she's been around for so long as well. But I would want someone back who I could say, okay, she might be in a lower position now, but I need some potential growth on the back end there. And also, I don't know that really where Saki Kashima would fit in in Tokyo Joshi either. Yeah, I mean, she probably wouldn't, but you know. 
Just wanted to throw it out there. Uh, okay, and also, I, I don't know if she's still a rookie or not, but we didn't mention Yuki Mashiro in the rookie conversation, so somebody might get mad about that. Uh, thoughts on the Cyber Fight Festival, and if you think it will be a major positive in terms of possibly getting more fans interested in Tokyo Joshi Pro, or do you think it won't have much impact in that regard? This is Ed Carden in the Discord. I'm always on the fence about these things, just because with these, I mean, with DDT shows... And now, you know, the Cyber Fight show, there's so much going on. I think there's like already 14 matches on this show that there's just so much going on that I think there's really one match that would probably get people more interested in Tokyo Joshi, and that is Yuka versus Miyu. And if that match is really, really good, if they come out and they blow everyone away and everyone's like, oh, it's a four and a half, you know, four and three quarters, five star match. I do think that it probably would get more people interested. But I think if they come out, you know, they're probably going to be third from the top because I would imagine the DDT and the Noah title are going to go on after them. You know, if they come out and they're third from the top and they get 12 minutes and it's a three you know and a half star match it's a perfectly nice match then i don't think you know i think people might go okay that was fine i don't think any of the really opening matches for any of these companies are really much of much in the way of getting someone interested they're really just a way to get people on the card and and fill out the card all right, next up from uh, Fried Steak on the Discord. Which company has the best entrance themes? Well, this is easy for me at Seedling. Um, between Nori Hana and Riko Kawahata coming out to Starships, um, Asuka comes out to Bad Guy, and they play them. And when you watch them on Seedling Live, that's the other important thing, is that they don't mute the themes. Um, you know, Ryu Mizunami coming out to Pitbull, um, Nanai's theme is, you know, when she's by herself, is one of my all-time favorite themes. So that, to me, is my very easy answer. Yeah, I'm just not really a theme guy in the grand scheme of things. Like, wow. Like, a theme is important to the whole, you know, uh, the whole aura of a wrestler, no doubt. But a lot of times people will be like, oh, what do you think about the theme for whoever wrestler? And I just cannot bring it to mind unless it's like, you know, like you're talking about pop songs that are, are used. It's like, OK, yeah, I know those songs. But most themes I could not. Most wrestlers, I could not tell you what their theme sounds like. I just have no idea. I do forget that you dislike music. I forgot about that. OK, I don't dislike music. <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? <laughs> I dislike music. Well, I know you don't like the Beastie Boys, so. I hate the Beastie Boys, I think is fair. Great production, but the fucking... Uh, sorry, I tried, I tried not to curse on this show and keep all my curses on my other show. Uh, the rapping is so bad. It's so bad. It's energy. It's all about the energy. No. I, no, I disagree. <laughs> it's not K-pop, which is all about the energy. <laughs> no. It's... No, I'm out on that. Uh... What will end first, the Beastie Boys' horrid career, Catch the Wave, or Stardom's Cinderella Tournament? This is from Ice Age coming in the Discord. And uh, Catch the Wave is ending July 1st, or at least that's when it's scheduled to end. 
Um, we don't know if the Cinderella tournament will go on on the 12th. Um, well, let's think about that. It was originally on the 29th, May 29th, and now it's on the 12th. So if it gets delayed again and it gets delayed by two weeks, that would still be the 26th. So I'm still going to go with the Cinderella tournament. Yeah, I think uh, that sounds right. Uh, but, you know, at this point, it's like ugh, the Cinderella tournament's a one day tournament. Damn it. I'm irritated about it. Okay, what shows do we have? Speaking of the Cinderella tournament, Taylor, what shows do we have coming up in uh, the next couple of weeks? So, Stardom has some shows on the on June fifth, sixth, and eighth. The eighth has the the biggest matches. They have some Future of Stardom title tournament matches and Natsupoi versus Fukigen uh, for the high speed title. And then, as of now, not canceled yet. Uh, on June 12th, the show at Oda Ward Gymnasium. There is one unannounced match, um, according to their website, uh, but that show will open with Julia and Natsupoi against Momo Watanabe and Azumi against Tam Nakino and Mina Shirakawa. They have, as we just discussed, the Oedo tie and Stars. Five on five match Mayu Iwatani, Starlight Kid, Hanan, Koguma, and X against Natsuko Tora, Konami, Fukigen, Ruaka, and X. The two Cinderella tournament uh, semifinals is that what it's called? Semifinals, quarterfinals? Um, anyway, I think, I think it's semifinals. Okay. Uh, Micah versus Unagi Sayaka in one, and Sayaka Matani against Himika in the other, and then they will also have the final match um, from the two winners of those matches, and then Utami Hayashita against Shuri. Uh, Aaron, what do you think about this card, and what do you think about Shuri getting a title match, even though she did not win the Cinderella tournament? Pretty annoying, if you ask me. You know, she was in the tournament, uh, so that and that is the, uh, you know, the the prize that you get. Uh, I think there's some cool matches here. Certainly, a ma- a show that I will watch. You know, all of it front to back because there's enough there to be interested in. Um, not in love with these Cinderella semifinal matches, to be honest. More interested in whatever the final turns out to be. Yeah, I think it is. It it makes sense a little bit because Shuri did beat Utami and then asked, but it just seems weird to say, "Okay, I beat you. Give me a title match," and then you go on to the next match and you lose, and you still get the title match. I mean, I'm sure the match will be very, very good, but just sort of a a con- a confusing way to. A confusing way to get there, which has been made more confusing by, I think, by all these delays and, you know, the Cinderella tournament still happening and all of these things. It's just sort of a weird... Overall, there's a weird feeling to the whole thing because of a number of factors than the main being that the Cinderella tournament, which is usually one day, is now seemingly still going on, is still going on. And may not end on the 12th, depending on what happens with all this state of emergency stuff. Um, Oz also has a big show on June 6th, Sonic Okado's 25th anniversary. 
Um, a lot of big names on this show. Uh, Maya Yukihi and Asuka against Kaho Kobayashi and Rina Yamashita. That seems like a really fun match. They're doing a battle royal. They're having some special guests that I believe will be speaking. Manami Toyota um, and others. And the main event, Sonic Okado, Aja Kong, and Mayumi Ozaki against Akino, Hiroya Matsumoto, and the returning Ryo Mizunami. So she won't just be appearing in Seedling, but will also be appearing on this Oz Academy show. And then on the 13th, Oz has another show, doing a lot of shows recently. Sonic Okado against Kaori Yonayama for the Oz title. Um, as we mentioned, the Cyber Fight Festival is coming up on June 6th. Tokyo Joshi will just cover the Joshi matches. Tokyo Joshi has four matches on the show. A pre-show 10-person tag team match. Mirai Mayumi, Suzume, Ariso Endo, Haru- Haruna Neko, and Moko Miyamoto against a debuting rookie, Kaya Toribama. Mahiro Kiryu, Nao Kakuda, Palm Harajuku, and Raku. So clearly the most interesting part of that match will most likely be the debut of this new rookie, Kaya Toribama, who has a very interesting-looking mask. And really there has been no information released except for a photo and obviously the name. So interested to see uh, more about this rookie as... Tokyo Joshi speeds up these debuts of rookies. They've had quite a lot of debuts over the past few months. Um, a six-person tag team match, Maki Ito, Marika Kobashi, and Yuki Kamafuku against Hikari Noah, Mizuki, and Yuki Arai. Yuki Arai, the big rookie debut from Tokyo Joshi's last show. A three-way tag match, Hyper Masao and Shoko Nakajima versus the Bakuretsu sisters against Miyu Watanabe and Rika Tatsumi. And then the big match, one of the three uh, triple main event matches, the Princess of Princess champion Miyu Yamashita against Yuka Sakazaki. Sendai Girls has a show on June 4th. The big match there is Meiho Shizuki against Cannon for the World Junior Championship. Uh, Ice Ribbon. We'll have two big shows, a Peace Party show with the continuation of the IWGQ tournament, uh, Totoro Satsuki against Madeline and Tekla against Matsuya Uno. And then on the 13th, this was announced a while back, but is now happening, a Risa Sara Hardcore Mixed Tag Team Tournament. Uh, this is really interesting. One Joshi uh, teaming up with one male wrestler. Some of the teams include Suzu Suzuki and Masashi Takeda, Rina Yamashita and Jun Kasai, Akane Fujita and Minoru Fujita, and, of course, Risa Sara and Orka Udo. That should be a really fun show. It's two um, two shows, actually, on one day, a day show and an evening show. So I'm I have my fingers crossed that that show makes tape because it should be a lot of fun. Um... And then Wave, the other big thing happening, Wave is starting the main Catch the Wave tournament. They have announced the four blocks. The Jealousy block, which will include Yumi Oka, Tomoko Watanabe, Kaori Yoniyama, and Yako. The Compliance block, which will be Yuki Miyazaki, 
Hibiscus Me, Haruka Umasaki, and Rin Katakura. The Gatling Block, which will be Nagisa Nosaki, Saki, Itsuki Aoki, and Yu. And the Potential Block, which will be Sakura Hirota, Mia Momono, Miyuki Takase, and Tomika Anaba after she won the Young Block. Their first show is on June 1st. Uh, Rin Katakura against Haruka Umasaki. Saki against Nagisa Nozaki, Mio Momono against Miyuki Takase, and Yu against Itsuki Aoki. Really looking forward to the Katakura Umasaki and Momono Takase matches. I think those should both be very good. And then they have another Catch the Wave show on June 8th Hibiscus Mi against Haruka Umasaki, Tomoko Watanabe against Yako. Sakura Hirota against Mio Momono and Nagisa Nosaki against Itsuki Aoki. And finally, Chuckle Pro will be coming to the Season 7 season finale. They have shows on June 4th, 5th, 12th, and the 13th will be the 7th season finale. All right, well, is there anything else we want to talk about, Taylor? Aaron, I think we covered it all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Love that. All right, make sure you find us on Twitter at JBombAudio. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor's at Tay Mambo. Subscribe. Give us a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcasts app. Donate to the show if you feel so compelled at RedCircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. Uh, that's it for today, and we will see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc